The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. We're continuing on in the book of Philippians. Uh, last week we talked about obedience. He said that obedience is not dependent on circumstance. So regardless of time, regardless of what happens, our obedience to God should not be based on those circumstances. We don't, we don't get an opportunity to disobey just because something's different. Obedience is not self-produced. It's not something that we can inherently do in and of ourselves. It's something that God does through us. The Holy Spirit changes our heart's affections, gives us a desire to obey, and that's what produces obedience in our life. We also say that obedience is not normal, that in the world that we live in, people aren't just quick to obey. It's not a normal thing. And we said obedience is not uncelebrated, that as we see uh, obedience, that we celebrate that because that's God working in us. And we don't boast in and of ourselves, we boast in who God is and what he has done in us and through us. All right, so after talking about obedience, Paul transitions, and he starts talking about a couple of spiritual servants. Um, serving others is something that is steadily dwindling in our culture. For whatever reason, people are less likely to get out of the pews and actually go engage uh, into a committed serving role, role within the church. And no one is really exactly sure why this is the case, uh, but I think we can safely say that at its root, it's because people are more concerned with their own consumption than they are about other people. They're more concerned about what they get out of church than what they can give to church. We gauge our experience of church from what we get out of it, right? We talked about that a little bit ago. Um, you know, things like, well, you know, I just didn't really get a lot out of that sermon today. Or I really hope they play that one song. When they play that one song, man, I, I worship really well in that song. Man, I hope they don't run out of that French vanilla creamer. That stuff's good. <laughs> right? Sometimes that's our view of church. We say things like that when we leave or when we're on our way to church. And if that's our relationship with church, how is that any different than going to Burger King and having it our way? Right? That's a consumeristic view of church. So I want to paint a scenario with you this morning. We have four kids at home. And so if I were to... Every single night, Becca starts preparing dinner, and when it's time to eat, every single night, if I were to go sit at the table and have my food brought to me and never participate in any way with feeding the kids, I don't help plate their food, I don't help put drinks in cups, I don't do anything, but every single night, I just go and sit in my chair and have them bring me my food or have her bring me my food. How good is that going to be for our marriage? I can tell you because I do it one time and I'm getting yelled at. So that's just is not how it works, right? If I was only concerned about my consumption of dinner and had no thought of anyone else, that wouldn't be too good for our relationship. That's not, how, that's not the way the Christian life was intended either. We, we need, we must be concerned for the spiritual welfare of others. We have to be. 
We can't just come and sit at this table together every Sunday and consume and consume and consume and consume and consume and then go to a Bible study before church and consume and consume and consume and come on Wednesday nights to equip classes and consume and consume and consume. That's not what church is meant to be. It's not how this works. We need, we must be concerned for the spiritual welfare of others. We need to push away from the table and start serving. It's important that at some point in your spiritual growth, in your relationship with God, at some point you push away from the table and you get up and you start to serve. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 4, the, the passage I read during the welcome. Verse 10, it says, As each has received a gift, all of you have been given a gift. If you're a Christian this morning, God has given you a gift, a spiritual gift. Use it to serve one another. So Peter says, don't use it for your own benefit. Don't use it to build your own kingdom. Use it to serve one another as what? As good stewards of God's varied grace. God has blessed you with grace. He's varied that grace for different, different people in the room. We turn around and we use that. We be good stewards with what God has given us. He says, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. How is God glorified? By us pushing away from the table and getting up and serve. By us using our gifts for the glory of God. By us being focused on others before ourselves. That's how God is glorified. God's not glorified by us coming and sitting and consuming week in and week out. God is glorified by us using our gifts to serve him, to bring, to, it says, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So all of you have a gift. And Peter says, use that to serve one another. Who's one another? Well, First Peter 1 tells us that the letter is written to believers. So we serve one another in the church. He said that we should use our gifting to serve the body, and that's how we glorify the Father. And I cannot express to you how much we need people to get this. We need people to get this. We need people to push away from the table and use their gifts to serve the body. That may mean you serve with kids. I've been on Wednesday nights for the entire semester this past year working with the kids on Wednesday nights. Your kids, some of you, your kids are bad. I'm just going to tell you. So yeah, some of, some of you, bless your kids. Sweet little angels. Um, but I've enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting to hang out with the kids on Wednesday nights. And you know why I was in, the, in there helping with kids on Wednesday night? I absolutely have other things I could be doing on Wednesday night, other things that are important, other things that need to be done. But you know why I was in there with the kids on Wednesday night? Because nobody else was. Because they needed people. There was a big need. And so we went in there and helped fill the need. We need people to push away from the table and start using their gifts to serve. That may mean you serve with kids. It may mean you serve with students. It may mean you serve with the media team. It may serve with the worship team. Lead a growth group, teach the equip classes, disciple less mature believers, fix the lights from blinking. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can serve in this church. But we need people to stop being concerned about themselves and start being concerned for others. This is a huge need in our church. We need servants. We got a lot of people that love to spend time in the Word, love to be in a group, love to go to equip classes, and that's all good. That's why we have that, to help prepare you. But at some point, you got to reach a maturity level where you push away, Right? Carter's getting to that level where it's like, you're old enough now, dude. We're not just going to bring your food. Like, get your own food. Right? Not only that, but why don't you fix drinks for your brother and your sister? And now he's getting to the point where it's like, hey, we're tired. We've worked all day. You go cook spaghetti. Right? At some point as you mature, 
your responsibilities increase. The same way, same is true about our spiritual growth as well. As we grow spiritually, we've got to push away from the table and start giving back. So in our text this morning, Paul mentions two specific spiritual servants that model what this kind of serving should look like. He talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus. These are two guys that Paul loves. He's been blessed by them, and they're a huge asset to him in his ministry. So what do we know about them? Let's talk about Timothy first, because we know more about Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege. He's a young guy. Paul uh, brought him up. He's half Jew, half Greek. He's from uh, Lystra in Galatia. Paul led him to Christ. We see that uh, in multiple spots. He talks about him being a son uh, to him in the faith. Uh, he's re- he's uh, helped raised by his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Louis. They're both Jewish believers. They both raise him up in the scriptures and teach him. Um, he wasn't circumcised as a child, so that probably means he had very little involvement with the temple. So he's not uh, raised uh, in, in, in the temple, but uh, he, he still knows the scriptures thanks to his mom and his grandma. He's a faithful servant to Paul. Probably at this point, he's been doing ministry with Paul for about 10 years. Uh, he ends up pastoring the church at Ephesus, just a faithful, faithful servant, someone who Paul very much loves. Epaphroditus uh, is not an apostle like Paul. He's not an elder like Timothy. He's just, he's just a dude. We don't know a whole lot about him. We don't know about his family. We don't know about his conversion experience. Um, his name suggests Greek origins. It means belonging to the goddess of love. He was a delegate to the, uh, of the Philippians. He's sent to minister to Paul in his imprisonment, uh, which would have probably been a very dangerous thing, right? Paul's in prison. You don't know how the emperor is going to respond at some point with Paul. Uh, and so it's a dangerous situation. Here's what I like about Epaphroditus. He's just a normal dude. Nothing special about him. He's just a normal guy. But he still gets mentioned by Paul because he was such a faithful servant, just willing to do whatever was needed. So Paul mentions both of these men because they're examples of what spiritual servants look like. So what does he say about them? Let's read together. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know this, you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon, but... I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my needs, since he was uh, been longing for all of you and was distressed because he heard, uh, because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. All right, so let's break down this passage and look at what Paul's saying about spiritual servants. First of all, spiritual servants are all about the gospel. Look at verse 19. He says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition, for I have no one else of kindred spirit. He says, there's no one else 
that thinks the way that I think, right? Paul, Paul did ministry with a lot of people over the years. So this is a big thing for Paul to say about Timothy. Paul had worked with countless people. He had reached countless people. He, he had done ministry for a long time at this point. So there's a lot of guys that he did ministry with. But he says about Timothy that he's the only one that he has of kindred spirit. I can relate to that. I've worked with a lot of guys uh, in ministry over the years, but I can probably count on one hand the number of guys that I would consider kindred spirits. Guys that I can relate to on a level greater than just church work. Sometimes church work can get so mundane and you're just doing the same, you're preparing for the service the next week, preparing for the service the next week, preparing for the service the next week. And sometimes guys just, that's all they focus on is, man, we gotta make Sunday happen, we gotta make Sunday happen, we gotta make Sunday happen. And I just don't wanna live that way. I mean, we're gonna make Sunday happen, but that's not what I'm living for. I'm living for the building of the God's kingdom. That's, that's, that gives me fuel to keep going. If it's all about Sunday, then there's no joy in that. So I, I, I want guys that I can relate to on a greater, le- greater level than just that church work, but on heartbeat about what we're passionate about. Guys I can really open up with and know that we're on the same page. Guys that I know love Jesus, are passionate about discipleship, are more concerned with the building of the kingdom than increasing attendance. Guys that see the world through the same lens that I do. Guys that I would want on my team. This is who Timothy was for Paul. Paul trusted Timothy because Timothy's heartbeat was for the same thing as Paul. They wanted the same thing. They were focused on the same thing. Timothy was passionate about the gospel. We see Paul's heart summed up in Philippians 1, right? Where he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's, that's a very succinct summation of what Paul's heart was all about. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's who Paul was. That, you can sum up all of who Paul was in that one sentence. So if that's true about Paul and Timothy is his kindred spirit, this can be true about Timothy as well. Timothy was kindred, was a kindred spirit in this. He, was, he wasn't concerned about himself, but about advancing the kingdom. We, we can see Paul's recognition of this in 1 Corinthians 4. Verse 16, he says, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. Whoa. Can we just stop and think how crazy that is? Can you say that about yourself? You're going to go to someone and be like, hey, be an imitator of me. Right? Not only that, look what else he says. For this reason, I've sent you Timothy. Why? Because Timothy is an imitator of Paul, right? So Timothy's character is in, in, in a way that he's telling the Corinthians, hey, you be like Timothy. If you can get a life like Timothy, you'll have it figured out. He says, who is my beloved faithful child in the Lord? And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ just as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul, he trusted Timothy to represent not only himself but God to the Corinthians, can that be said about you? Right? Can someone say, hey, you go be a representative, representative of Christ to the people that you work with. The people that you work with should look at you for how a life should be lived. Is that true about you? Timothy lived his life in a way that would remind the Corinthians of the ways that are in Christ. It's hard to be focused on the spiritual welfare of others when you're not living in the ways of Christ. So spiritual service starts with a passion for the gospel and a life that's been changed by it. That's where all this starts. There's a a temptation for church staffs to get things done, right? We've got 
children's ministry we've got, youth ministry we've got, all these things going on. It's like, man, we need, people, we need volunteers, we need volunteers, we need volunteers, we need volunteers. And so the temptation is just to find a warm body and put them in that role. We need to make sure that the kids don't kill themselves. So you go sit in that room, make sure they don't kill themselves. Right? That's the temptation of a, of a church staff. We face it all the time. It's like, man, we need someone to help with this. Let's just find anybody that can do it and put them in the room. Spiritual service isn't about filling positions, though. We're not just looking for people to fill positions. We need servants that are kindred spirits. We need people that are passionate about the gospel and have been genuinely changed by it. We need people that are all about building the kingdom. We need servants that are living others' first lives. This is important. That we're not just filling positions in a church to fill positions in a church. We need people that are passionate about the gospel. Which leads us to the next point. Spiritual servants are all about others. Look at verse, the second part of verse 20. It says, Who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus. Not only was Timothy passionate about the gospel, but he was genuinely concerned about the welfare of the Philippians. Timothy was passionate about ministry. He's passionate about people. He was passionate about the gospel, but he's also passionate about people. You can serve for the wrong reasons. You know that? Like you can be super involved in church and serve in like all the ways that you can possibly serve. You can do all the things and do them for the wrong reasons. You can show up week in and week out and it still be all about self. That's possible. I have a friend who uh, was serving on a worship team. And he came to me and was like, hey man, I'm, I'm going to step down for a little bit. And I was like, okay, wow. He was like, well, he's like, I just don't feel like when I get up there that it's, it's about God. There's something inside of me that wells up with this pride and it's become about me. I get on the stage for myself because of what I get out of it because it makes me feel good because I feel like I'm awesome when I'm on stage and it, it, it draws my affections away from God and puts them on myself. And, and the truth is, all the stuff that happens on stage, that's a danger. And so if you serve on stage, you need to be constantly aware of your heart. Is that, is that your motive? Because motive matters. We shouldn't just serve based on whether we enjoy it or whether it makes us feel good or, or, or all that. We should serve because we genuinely want God to be glorified and we genuinely have a heart for people. Serving others shouldn't be about what you uh, get out of it. Serving is about others. This plays out in other ways as well. Um, people not wanting to serve with certain areas because they don't like it. People are like, I don't want to serve with kids. Kids are ugh, I don't want to do that. Right? So again, what does that tell us about your heart? That your serving is based on your, your standards and what you want. It's about you. Right? Rather than seeing a need and meeting the need, people want to be choosy about what they enjoy or what they'll get the most satisfaction out of. If serving is about your enjoyment of, of the task itself and not about your devotion to Jesus, can it really be considered service? Can it be? If it's about you and what you get out of it, are you really serving anyone other than yourself? Or is it just you looking out for you? Serving needs to be about devotion to Jesus and concern for others. If that's your focus, you'll be less focused about your enjoyment of the task itself 
and more focused on God being glorified. If your focus is on God being glorified, then the task doesn't really matter. Our heartbeats should be about the glory of God and the spiritual welfare of others. And if that's true about us, then we won't care as much of how that plays out. And this is a continuance of what Paul wrote at the beginning of chapter 2. And we're still in chapter 2. Remember what he wrote in verse 4? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. We need no reminder to look out for our own interests. You don't. Even if you think you're like the most humble person in the world, we're, we're all good at seeking our own interests. We all make sure that we're fed. We all make sure that we've we got a house. We make sure that we got all the stuff that we need. We take care of ourselves. Paul says, in that same way, we should be focused on others. If we got this, it would radically change our church. If we got this, it would radically change our church. It would radically change our city. It would radically change the world that we live in. If Christians stopped living for themselves and literally started living for the interests of others first, it would radically change the world we live in. This requires sacrifice, though. It requires you to sacrifice your own desires for the well-being of others. Look at Hebrews 13.6. It says, do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So God, God is pleased when your heart beats for others. God is pleased when you step outside your comfort zone and invite your neighbor to church. God is pleased when you give up your Thursday evening to disciple a new believer. God is pleased when you sacrifice your finances to meet the needs of others. He's pleased when our focus is not on ourselves and what we want and what we need and if we're happy or comfortable or enjoying ourselves, but instead when we focus on his glory and the spiritual welfare of others. That's what pleases God. And so we can live in this world where we think that we're doing these things for God, and really it's about ourselves. So it's important that we check our hearts, that we constantly question our motives. Spiritual servants are all about the gospel. They're all about others. And spiritual servants are all about faithfulness. Look at verse 22. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Paul says that Timothy's proven his worth. He's proven it. How did he prove it? With faithfulness. He was faithful. He was tested. He didn't waver. He wasn't this little spark of enthusiasm that we often see, but he was a faithful servant to the Lord. Day in, day out, Timothy was faithful. He had remained even when it was hard, even when he was tired, even when he didn't want to continue. He saw the importance of being steady and faithful. Man, that's an important trait that, that many don't have today. Just remaining faithful. Some people came to my mind, though, when I read this. People in our church who have served for decades. People like James and Christine Richardson. Who were teaching kids like before I was a kid. And still teach kids. And still go to camp. People like Jeff McKinnon, who taught me in children's church. And is over there right now teaching children's church. People like Ernie Chance, who's been a deacon in our church probably longer than I've been alive. And he still, like for decades, would bring the, 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 uh, the, the tithing and the money that came in. He'd go do the bank deposit every single Sunday. Go drop it off, drop it off, drop it off. Like clockwork. These people, 
they haven't grown weary of doing good. People that have remained faithful even when things got tough, even when they didn't want to continue, even when they were tired. We need more people that are committed to being faithful. There's a the ministry that our students go to every year, Mission Arlington, there's a little old lady that runs this ministry. She's in her 80s. She's been running this ministry for decades. And uh, she's all about consistency. If it's raining, that doesn't matter. You get out there and you go play with those kids. If, uh, if there's something, some unforeseen circumstance, you better figure it out and get out there and hang out with those kids. Because she's learned that in those apartment complexes, consistency is, is huge. And so faithfulness is huge, even to the point to when she started the ministry, going to apartment, she would go to apartment complexes and do ministry with kids in the apartment complex, reach people, share the gospel, and see fruit from that, and start apartment churches. That's, that's her ministry, what she did. So much so with the consistency and faithfulness that when she started the ministry, she had a red car, a little red car. And every time her car is broken, she's had to buy a new one. She gets a new red car. So that when the kids, when she pulls up, the kids know, hey, that's Miss Tilly. Faithfulness is important. Consistency is important. Steadiness is important. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 3. It says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Continue on in steadfast love and faithfulness. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. What's it saying? It's saying, make this such a priority that you wear it around your neck. You write it in your heart that, that, so that you can please God, right? So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You want to honor God with your life? Remain faithful. Don't quit. Remain faithful. Keep on keeping on. Don't get tired of an other's first lifestyle. Finish strong. At the end of his life, Paul encourages Timothy with this same message to finish strong. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, he says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but all those who loved his appearing. Paul's telling Timothy, hey, look, I've stayed faithful. In spite of circumstances, even when things were tough, and even when everything seemed so dire, even now when I know that my life is coming to an end, I've poured out my life for the glory of God, and you do the same, Timothy. Don't get tired. Don't get weary of doing good. You're young in the faith. Continue on so that you too can say the same thing at the end of your life, that you've kept the faith and you've finished strong. That should be true about us. Here in 2021, we need people that have that same mindset, that we hear that same encouragement that Paul gave Timothy to keep on keeping on. Yes, it's going to get tiring. We live busy lives and things are more chaotic now than they've ever been, but we should continue on. We should remain faithful. There will be weeks when you're exhausted. Don't quit. There will be months when everything seems to be fighting against you. Don't quit. There will be years of drought. Don't quit. Regardless of circumstance, remain faithful. Remain faithful. Faithful, spiritual servants are all about the gospel, are all about others, they're all about faithfulness. And finally, spiritual servants are all about the mission. Look at verse 23. It says, therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly, but I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Look how he refers to Epaphroditus. Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. 
who was also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all in because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then with, uh, in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to com- complete what was deficient in your service to me. I love Epaphroditus. This is all we really know about him, but he's a cool dude. Why? Because he's just a faithful man. Just a faithful man willing to give his life to be a servant. Paul says, hold men like him in high regard, not because of his gifting, but because of his heart. Wasn't it that Epaphroditus was some super gifted dude that could stand up and speak so, uh, you know, awesomely? But he was just a dude. He was willing to do whatever God wanted him to do. He was willing to serve in whatever way advanced the kingdom. Paul says, hold him in high regard. Church has become very focused on this, like, one-hour service, right? Like, we're, we're in this culture, this time, where church is all about what happens right here, right now. And so because of that, people have this distorted view that if they can't sing or if they can't speak, then they don't have a gift. I don't, if I can't sing or if I can't speak, I don't have a gift and I can't really be used by the church because all the church does is sing and speak. Well, if that is all the church does, then maybe that's true, but that's not all the church is supposed to do. And listen to me this morning, the Bible says you have a gift. So that's true. Right? It may not be speaking, it may not be singing, but you have a gift, a spirit-given gift. And the Bible tells us to, in turn, give that back to God for his glory. Epaphroditus was all heart. He just wanted to help with whatever was needed, and he was r- willing to risk his life to serve. Paul was, he says that this kind of person is the kind of person we should hold with high regard. Our respect and how we view positions in the church shouldn't be based on whether they're on the stage or not. It should be based on their heart. Are they willing to give it all to serve? That's what was true about Epaphroditus. He was willing to give it all. And I would take a guy like that over a guy with all the talents and no heart any day. Epaphroditus was all about the cause. This was, this, this was his motivation for serving, and this should be our motivation for serving. We teach kid Bible studies. Why? Because we want to advance the kingdom. We teach students. Why? Because we want to advance the kingdom. We maintain our buildings so that we can advance the kingdom. We pass out flyers for VBS so that we can advance the kingdom. We teach equip classes so that we can advance the kingdom. Everything that we do is all about advancing the kingdom. And if it's not, then we're wasting our time. If we're doing something for any other reason than to advance the kingdom, then we should kill that thing. Everything should be about advancing the kingdom. And when we're living our lives for the kingdom, nothing else matters. When it's the kingdom that our heart is focused on and our minds are focused on, nothing else matters. Just like Epaphroditus, we'll be willing to risk everything for what we believe in. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 16, verse 24. He says to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. If you want to live your life for you, go ahead, but you're going to lose that. But he goes on, he says, whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? What good is it if you gain everything in this life has to offer? Everything this world has to offer, what, you, you can have it all, and it means nothing. Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Jesus dispelled any myth that you could follow him half-heartedly. Right there in that one text, he dispels any myth that you could follow Jesus without complete devotion. Right? He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, what does he got to do? He's got to deny himself, he's got to take up his cross, and he's got to follow me. That's not half-hearted. That's complete abandonment. That's surrender. And if you don't have that, you're not following Jesus. He said, whoever loses their life for him would find life. We live in an incredibly self-centered society, and that self-centered lifestyle has infiltrated the church. It's not just out in the pagan world. It's inside these walls. We've got people who are all about themselves. They're saying, I'm just, I'm just not being fed. I want to serve, but I want to, I want to serve on my terms. We, we, we need all the programs so my kids are entertained. I don't, I don't like the music. I don't like the preaching. I don't like the coffee. I don't like this. I don't like that. It's not about you. If it is about you, then you're not worshiping God. That's the kind of stuff people say when their focus is on themselves. When our focus is on the mission, it's more like, how can I help feed someone? I want to serve wherever I can most effectively be used to impact the kingdom. How can I disciple my kids to be little kingdom builders? Those are the kind of things that people say when their focus isn't on themselves. You find yourself saying, well, I'm just, I'm just not being fed, or I don't like the music, or I don't like this, or I don't like that, or I, 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 this is, they should do this differently, they should do that differently. That just means that your heart is focused on you. Your heart is focused on you. So where's your focus? Is it on you or is it on the mission? Epaphroditus risked his life for the mission. What have you sacrificed for the mission? And the truth is we got people that won't sacrifice a Friday night for the mission. You really expect yourself to sacrifice your life for the mission? Mission is all that matters. It's all that matters. It's worth laying your life down for. And a spiritual servant gets that. Someone who's a spiritual servant gets that. And that's what we need. We need spiritual servants. We need spiritual servants here at Fellowship. We need spiritual servants in the greater aspect of the church in America and all over the world. We need people to get this and to start serving. Not just people to fill roles, because you can find that any day. You need a Bible study teacher, you can, I mean, you can find one. They may be a pagan and not have any heart for God, but they can read through a prompt and have a little Bible study in house. What good is that? What's the benefit of that? If, they're, if they're not, they don't have a heart for the gospel, what's the point? We're not just looking for volunteers, but spiritual servants, people who are all about the gospel, people who are all about others, people who are all about faithfulness, people who are all about the mission. And my question to you this morning is, is that you? Is that you? Are you a consumer 
or are you a servant? There is no in-between. There is no in-between. You're either a consumer or you're a servant. Let me make something clear before we move on. If you're a new believer, you should be in the consumer category. If you're a new believer, if you're young in your faith, this is where you should be. You should be learning and growing spiritually. But then there's a point in every person's life, and it's different for everybody, when you push away from the table and say, you know what, it's time for me to start serving. It's time for me to place my, use my gift and, and, and use what God has given me for his glory within the, within the church to serve the body. There should be a point in your life when you do that. If you've been a Christian for 40 years and you've never served, you're missing out. You're missing out on what God wants for your life. And so are you passionate about the gospel? Have you been changed by it? Is that evident in how you live your life? Are you all about others? Is your day-to-day all about you and your family, or do you live in an others-first lifestyle? Are you faithful to serve, or do you commit and then fizzle out? Have you proven yourself to be a servant? Are you all about the mission? Have you sacrificed it all? Are you all about sacrifice? Timothy and Epaphroditus set the example, and Paul's telling us that we need to follow that. My kids like to play this game. It's super annoying. Um, where they compare. So you'd be like, hey, did you do your chores? And they're like, well, I did more chores than that one. Or did you clean your room? Because it's kind of messy. Well, it's cleaner than so-and-so's. Right? So there's a constant comparison game. Like, I shouldn't have to do it if they don't do it kind of thing. And we play that same game in the church sometimes, right? Like, do you serve? Are you a servant? Well, you know, I serve more than that person. But they don't do anything. That's not how it works. It's not about checking the box of, well, I do more than so-and-so, so I'm good. It's about your heart. Is this true of your heart? Not true of your actions, because remember, we can do it for the wrong motives. Is this stuff true about your heart? So, as we wrap this up, let's talk about how to serve. Maybe you're listening this morning, you're like, okay, I'm in. I buy it. I need to serve. I'm ready to push away from the table. I'm ready to get involved. What does that look like at fellowship? Uh, if you want to serve, we're going to make sure that you're a kindred spirit. We're going to make sure that you're all about the gospel and that you want to teach and you're living it and all that good stuff. All that stuff is important. We're going to vet you, all that good stuff. Uh, but if you're wanting to serve, let us know. If that's you and you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I want to I get involved in some way. It, it, I know it varies based on person. Some people can do more. Some people can do less. But if you're in this moment and you're like, man, I need to get involved in some way, then let us know. Here's two ways you can let us know. One, there's a card in front of you in that pew. It's a decision card. It's a guest card. It's an all of the things card. The first checkbox says... I want someone to contact me. Check that box. Drop it in the box on your way out, and, uh, and we'll contact you and we'll talk about it. Or two, you can go to our website, fellowshiptx.org, and click the button, Get Involved, and you can click the button, Serve, and there's an application you can fill out. It's really just an online form. Fill it out, and then we're going to contact you. Both times, we're going to contact you to make sure that 
you know the Lord, you serve the Lord, and your heart's in the right place. And then we'll talk about where we can plug you in. But every single person should have a place that they're serving. If you're a Christian in the room and you've been Christian for a good little bit, it's time to push away from the table and it's time to get involved. And it's not about you. It's about his glory. It's about building the kingdom. That should be where your heart is. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? We would love to help you find a place to serve. It's important. It's important to have a place to serve. But before you serve, it's important that, that you're passionate about the gospel. It's important that you've been changed by the gospel. And so this morning, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, you've never surrendered your life to him completely, we would love an opportunity to talk to you about that. The band here in a second, they're going to start singing. And as they sing, there are going to be a couple of people that are going to be standing down front, and they would love to have that conversation with you. And so if that's true about you, you've never given your life to Christ, and you want to know what it means to truly have a relationship with him, we would invite you to come down and grab them by the hand and say, hey, I want, I want to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. And they would love to have that conversation with you. Maybe this morning you've been a Christian for a long time and you're realizing, hey, it's time for me to push away from the table and get involved and start serving the body. It's time for me to start living this other's first lifestyle. Well, the truth is, once we deal with the gospel thing and and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you need to deal with your your heart and and evaluate whether you, you have this desire to actually serve. Like, are you living this other's first lifestyle like Paul's been talking about? That has, serving has to start with that. Because if it doesn't, you're going to fizzle out. If it's about the task at hand or whether you enjoy it or not, or, or if it's just about filling a, a spot, the truth is, you're going to fizzle out. I've seen it so many times where it's like, man, we need people to help out with kids ministry or youth ministry or whatever. And someone's like, well, I'll, I'll you guilt me into it, I'll do it. And then they fizzle out. Because their heart was never really about others first. It was just about, man, you guilted me to it, so I'm going to do it. So I'm not trying to guilt you this morning, because I know that produces nothing long term. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit changes your heart. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit places something inside of you that genuinely leads you to want to live your life for other people first. Because that what the scripture teaches that we should be. And if we're truly, genuinely changed by the gospel, the fruit of that is an other's first lifestyle. So my prayer is that that's true about you. Don't come and get involved because you're like, man, I feel guilty and you're being able to say you're supposed to serve so I can self-serve. Don't do that. That doesn't benefit anybody. It just leads to frustration. Get involved because you genuinely love others and you genuinely want to see God's kingdom be built. And if that's your heart, there's no stopping that. It's not something that fizzles out. That's something that continues on in faithfulness. So however God's leading you this morning, I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to sing. Like I said, there'll be a couple of people down here front that would love to have a conversation with you. But also these altars are open. So if it's a heart issue for you, or you recognize my heart is not about others first, these altars are here for you to pray and ask God to change your heart. God, we pray that in this moment, will would be done. I pray that you would be glorified 
what our hearts are thinking, what our hearts are feeling in this moment. God, we pray that you would be glorified in that. God, we pray that you would change our hearts. The truth is, every single person in this room struggles to live an other's first lifestyle because the flesh inside of us tells us to live for us. So God, I pray that you would change us. You would stir something deep inside of us that is burdened for others before ourselves. And God, we know that the fruit of that, that the fruit of a genuinely changed life is service. So God, we're not asking you to fill positions within this church. We're asking you to change people change hearts. God, we pray that you would move in this moment. Should we pray? Amen. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.